Thanks for tuning in to the 168 Podcast, a podcast from Mitchell Knight and Jordan Bird of the Clarence Church of Christ, aimed at helping you connect Sunday worship with everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome back. We're here with another episode of the 168 Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about the subject of spirituality is it embodied? So part of what we're going to talk about here is just the concept of thinking of spirituality in the sense of, does it matter what you do with your body in terms of the spirituality that you have? And specifically in following Jesus, does what you do with your body matter? And this can hit for a few different, from a few different angles. Uh, one, some people might take based on how they read scripture or their, uh, theology that they have or the way they view the the end times can very much think what you do in the body doesn't matter as much. I mean, it's almost hard to read through the New Testament and not see that there are definitely like the actions and behaviors you have matter. Like that seems to be pretty clear. But there are some verses that talk about how like if, if humans are, if humanity is made from the dust of the ground, like we see Adam, how he's created in Genesis then when we read passages like the world's going to be the, you know, the earth's going to be burned up, then it can give off this sense of like what you do in the body doesn't matter. Or it can be very much like there's a sense of what you do in the body is bad. And what you do in your like non, in this non-physical sense, like your, your relationship with God, which can be like prayer, which, you know, there's not like a concreteness of like what prayer is. Like you don't, you can't hold prayer. Like it's this, imaginary dynamic of a relationship with God. So like that kind of spirituality is good, but what you do with your body, it's like good, but it's not like lasting. There's almost a sense of that to some degree. And so what we want to talk about is I think pun intended flesh out (laughs) how spirituality connects to our embodied existence as human beings. And to ground that, I think you have to look no further than the most spiritual person that we all know. The Sunday school answer, Jesus. (laughs) Just looking at the life of Jesus, who we are striving to follow after, if we look at his relationship with his heavenly father, we see that Jesus' very life is grounded in being an embodied person. Obviously from, I mean, Jesus doesn't have a beginning, so it's not like you can point to the the beginning, but he takes on humanity. But you see in what we, how God has been revealed to us, how Jesus has been revealed to us, that he comes to us embodied so that we can relate to him. He can relate to us, you know, that whole dynamic. But then beyond his incarnation, his being born in, in, you know, having life with, with embodied existence, the other core part of Jesus' life is his death and his resurrection. So death being the you know, crucifixion or the putting to death of his body, which would maybe point to, oh, yeah, so the body doesn't matter as much. It's about, you know, the other, you know, non-physical things. But then you can't separate Jesus' death and what it means from the resurrection of his life that happens three days later. And so even though Jesus dies... He is resurrected with an embodied existence. So again, Jesus is the epitome, if you will, of an embodied existence and and what that existence looks like in relating to God. And so the spirituality we see in Jesus is embodied. You can't separate the two from each other, if you will. Like to talk about the spirituality that Jesus has, you can't, 
not talk about what he does with his body, what he do, did in his embodied existence. And you can't talk about his embodied existence without also referencing his spirituality or his relationship with God. The two are one in one in and of the same. To have one is to not be full of life, if you will, or to have not have the others to not be full of life. Like the two make the fullness of life that Jesus reveals to us of what it looks like to live out the fullness of human life that God has created. So that's, that's kind of the, the rounded out idea. And I think we'll talk about a few more or touch on a few more of these, uh, aspects, if you will, as our conversation unfolds. So that's kind of the broad, broad idea. Uh, Mitch, do you want to kind of add anything more to that? Just the, that I maybe didn't add there or kind of give it from your angle. I think the idea that we're trying to get at is just in the sense that we don't just exist in the ethereal. We have a body and, you know, we need to pay attention to it. I think the two examples for me, you know, bringing up the most spiritual person we know being Jesus Christ, we know that, you know, after his baptism, he was tempted 40 days in the desert. Uh, Some of that had to do with hunger, right? Hunger is tied to the body. It's not necessarily tied. Well, it can be tied to the spirit, but it's a different kind of hunger altogether. Um, and I think about Jesus's resurrection with um, Thomas in showing the holes in the hands and feet. You know, there's some kind of continuity that, you know, even in the resurrection, what we do with our body matters. There's still some kind of continuity there. We know that we are going to be remade. We're going to have a resurrection body. So we're kind of getting practice here on earth like this is like a proving grounds for what's going to be happening later on we need to take care of our body we need to listen to it because a lot of our spirituality is tethered to it and um i think that's just what we're trying to get at yeah so in our kind of pre-conversation mitch you talked about the aspect of and you just touched on a little bit of having a body and taking care of it and and how that might you know, maybe explain that, how that matters in sort of the idea of spirituality and relating to God. And at least from your perspective, how does that play out? Well, I think a lot of it tethers back to, you know, I don't want to say like arrogance, maybe like overconfidence that there's this Christian high about like, well, I'm set apart from the world. What I do here doesn't really matter. Things can't affect me, but you always have to remember the the context that the body is found in, which is the fallen creation that we live in, right? We can still get sick. We still have allergies. We still die. Just because we have a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean we're going to go jump off a bridge, right? I mean, we have to take care of ourselves. We know that our body can be wounded. It can be hurt. It can become sick. Um, so, you know, I think it's similar to what people will say, what maybe older people will say about younger people and thinking that they're invincible, kind of adding the spiritual element onto our bodily existence. I feel like we can get overconfident and we think we can be invincible to the fallenness of the creation around us, but really our body is part of that and our spirituality tethered to the body is what kind of grounds us in a way. Um, it kind of fixes those issues, but it doesn't mean that the issues are just gone. Um, there's give and take there. Yeah. I mean, we're embodied creatures. I mean, that's, I mean, from creation on, that's, that's who we are. And like you said, we're, we're also born into a context. Like none of us are exempt from the history in which we're born into. So what happened, at least as far as we know, scripturally back, you know, as far as Adam and Eve, where they separated themselves from God. And it seems like that just spirals and snowballs down throughout the rest of history 
we are brought up into that story and that history. And so that's the world in which we enter into. And yeah, we've each chosen our own way in which we've separated ourselves from God. But the, the brokenness of embodied life is something that we do deal with. And you talk about a little bit about the invincibleness that people can have. And some of, I think what, you know, plays out in, in how we talk about following Jesus and what we do with our embodied life. Like a lot of times this can be tied to health and like some people can act like, well, what matters, what does it matter what you do with your body? Because eventually we all die. Like that's like the reality because of sin and we're all going to get a new body anyway. So who, what matters what I do with the one I have now? And in one sense, yes, it's true. It doesn't, it like preserving this entity, the, the body that I have now is not the end all be all goal of, of a follower of Jesus. It's not about just preserving, but it is about, because yeah, this, this is going to die, but there is a hope that comes in not being worried about what happens to my body because of the hope of resurrection that we have. But that hope is still tied to a bodily existence. We see this in the life of Jesus, that he doesn't just come back to life in a like ethereal spiritual sense. Like, and there's just like floating spirit that the disciples encounter three days later. No, they actually encounter an embodied existence, but it's a glorified existence. So yeah, it's, it's different and better. At least it appears in scripture than what we have now that what we, experience now as embodied creatures but there does seem to be a tie between the the body we have now and the glorified body we have later i mean even maybe just to the detail of even jesus life where like his scars don't disappear in his glorified existence i'm not really sure what all to do with that but there's a sense in which the life he experienced without his glorified body or at least the glorified body we see him with i mean when you start talking about jesus it becomes kind of like He's God. So like, how do you talk about there being a difference before? But there isn't, you know, the, the pre crucifixion body he has, you know, he, he gets scars and, and it's hurt and all that kind of stuff. But then in, even in his resurrected body, there's still like a carryover of that history, if you will, but it's redeemed, you know, cause there's a, there's a difference in a tra- different trajectory in which he's going to be living in because he's ascending to live with his father and that unity and that, that community. And it's, it's not one that's subject to death anymore. Yeah. There's still like a sort of recur or a, a remembrance of it or a, but it's, you know, my whole point is there's a carry over there. And it seems like if we're following after Jesus, there's going to be the same dynamic for our life too. So to just say that like what happens with my body doesn't matter. Well, yeah, in one sense it, it doesn't, but in one sense, what we do now, like you said, it's kind of like a training ground. That That's one way I've heard it put before, too. Um, N.T. Wright, uh, who is a pretty well-noted uh, scholar within the Christian world, today at least, uh, he talks about that same dynamic. And he talks about how, yeah, living in, in our body, embodied existence now is like a practice ground for how we live into eternity. So, like, in a sense, we're practicing now how we're going to live for the rest of eternity. So... Does like what I do now matter into eternity? Well, maybe what I do with my body now, like not everything fully translates, but it does somehow carry over. Like how that carries over, I don't know. And he actually points to the passage in First Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul goes on and on, the Apostle Paul goes on and on about how important the resurrection is, how the important the resurrection of Jesus is. Like if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus, the whole thing we're talking about of following Jesus doesn't matter. And N.T. Wright points out how the last 
couple of, or last verse that, that Paul uh, writes in uh, verse 58 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So he, the whole point here is that you, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What you do in your embodied existence is not purposeless. This is essentially what he's saying. But that's also couched within this whole conversation of, yes, death is a reality. And yes, resurrection is, is the hope that we have. But there does seem to be this like crossover, carryover between what we do now and the existence that we have in the rest of eternity with, with, with God. And he, he says, like, there's, you know, we don't know what that entails, but there does seem to at least be a carryover of like what we do now means something into eternity. I mean, you could take that to mean a variety of things like the interactions we have with people who come to follow Jesus carry over into eternity because that's people who live in eternity in unity with, with God. It's like those things we can maybe more easily grasp, but Paul seems to be talking about just the everyday things that the Corinthian church is doing on behalf of the Lord in the life that they live, you know, working, raising families, like those things, the things they do in their embodied existence have a carryover in some way. Again, we don't know what that looks like, but there is a sense in which it carries over. And the way we can kind of like think about that is what we do now prepares us to live into eternity. So one way to maybe think about that is why, why, uh, you know, why be loving towards somebody? Why like self-sacrificially love another person even to maybe harm to your body in the process of doing that. Well, one, we see Jesus doing that, but two, if that sort of love is what eternity is all the time, as followers of Jesus, we get the opportunity to live that out now, like we're going to do for the rest of eternity. Obviously it's going to be harder now (laughs) because we have, you know, people who might be against us, don't like that we're doing that or don't read it that way, whatever it may be. But in eternity, that's just going to be the way it is. And so, the idea here is that you get to live into the eternal reality now. You get to practice it or sort of preview it, if you will. And we get the full bliss of that in eternity when we don't have all the junk that makes it so hard to do that like it is now. Anyway, I've been kind of going on and on here. Why don't you kind of add in any thoughts you have kind of with any of that stuff? I think another way of adding on to that is just being aware from our New Testament perspective of where God is living and he lives inside of us by his spirit, right? We know that the scriptures say that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I think that kind of goes into how we take care of it, right? We don't want to deface it. We don't want to destroy it. We want to take care of it and keep it healthy. I mean, back when God was basically traveling around in a tent, it's not like people were burning it down and, you know, destroying the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff. They were taking care of it. They were, you know, making sacrifices to take care of it. And I think that's part of it. Um, There's the spiritual perspective on it, which kind of bleeds into the practical perspective, which is like, yeah, you know, Paul even says at one point that physical training is of some value. You know, he says that it's of some value. But he also says that spiritual training is of much more value in all areas. And I think I don't know, maybe even in my own life, I'm tempted to overcomplicate things with how we take care of the body. You don't necessarily need to be setting, you know, world shot put records or whatever. That's a, that's like the heavy, the heavy stone, right? 
one of it's one of those. I mean, you don't have to become like an Iron Man or a whatever kind of person. Yeah, like yeah, like you don't bodybuilder have bodybuilder or something like that. Yeah, you don't have to become you know a gold medalist. But and and then also you know God tells Peter that all foods have been made clean. I mean, just don't be like debaucherous with it. Like don't go to the nth degree and overindulge or anything like that. But you know when you're hungry, eat. When you're thirsty, drink. Don't deprive your body of what it needs to survive. And activity is part of that. But at the same time, we don't need to like, you know, we don't need to make it so legalistic where like, unless you're on the keto diet, you're not going to heaven kind of a thing. It's, I don't know anyone who thinks that, but that's just an exaggeration. It's just based on a necessity. Like the body needs things, so we should provide for it. You know, it's God's temple, so we shouldn't deface it. And that bleeds into our spiritual practices as well. Um, so those are just some of my thoughts on it. But Yeah, I mean, some ways to also think about this is just that, like, you know, when we have feelings uh, within a situation, like our feelings are never detached from our bodily existence. Like it's it's attached to how our brain's functioning. It's attached to the chemicals interacting in our body. Like the things we kind of maybe typically think of as not being physical – but like these sort of non-physical experiences that we have, like they are, we experience them though through the body that we have. Like, otherwise it's like, we could just say, well, it doesn't matter. They're not there. And if anything, you know, in more recent history, those things have not been like sort of, you know, pushed down and shoved aside. They've been elevated and they can be over elevated for sure, but it's probably a good thing that they have been elevated more to where they're giving at least credence of like, yeah, no, this is part of being a, creaturely creaturely being like you do have a body and it does react in certain ways and it's you know it's almost no different than like if you put your hand on a hot stove like the pain isn't bad it's to tell you to get it off like that's a good thing but your body is responding to an experience and it's telling you something that's that's harming it and yeah but to me i mean one way i see spirituality and and bodily existence coming together is just like you were talking about in like you know, overeating, just that alone, you could think of just like, you know, feeding yourself as just like a materialistic process, if you will. But the overconsumption of something, which ultimately is gluttony, which is like a spiritual issue, which is the consuming more than you need. So it's, there's greed, there's, you know, it's depriving what someone else could be using that you're overusing. Like there's, you st- now you're starting to get into interactions with other people with that. And, and the, goodness or badness that comes with that, if you will. Um, But those things can be directed as being either life-giving or life-destroying based on the wisdom that we use and how we eat. And so like when you have passages in scripture that talk about gluttony or, um, you know, over, you know, depriving someone else of something they could have, if you will, that kind of thing, we're living that out in, in our bodies if we're not paying attention to what God has revealed to us of what is the fullest way to live. And ultimately that ties back to the life of Christ that's been revealed to us. And so those, my whole point here is that like, yeah, I mean, you, I think you even see this in a lot of uh, the culture outside of the church, if you will, where there is this like almost spirituality associated with a lot of exercising and dieting and things like that. Cause it's hard to not con- see that there is a connection there. It's where do we, what's the object of that connection? And as followers of Jesus, it's the life that God has for us, the life that Jesus reveals to us. That's the fullness of life. That's ultimately what we're 
trying to aim for and strive for. And in following the ways of Jesus, we are then able to live out the fullness of life that our body can can live out here on this side of death. But we're also able to live into the fullness of life that we can have in relationship to God, a relationship with others, relationship with ourself, how we feel. I mean, even like if you're talking about overeating, like it may feel like good in the moment, but then I mean, almost any, any person who's overweight, I mean, just think about Thanksgiving that's coming up here in a, in a few weeks. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was so good. But, oh, man, I also feel so awful. Like there's a sense of like overindulging makes us feel horrible about ourselves. Like there's a spiritual dynamic going on just there. And but it's like a war within ourselves. Like, oh, yeah, it tasted so good. But then it's like I also like despise myself for letting myself do that at the same time. And look what the consequences are of me doing that. And so they, there is this dynamic of like if, if we would follow in the being content with what God has provided for us, not overdoing things, but basically following the wisdom of Jesus, we can live into the fullness of life that, that Jesus has for us. And so I see a lot of intersections with, with the things you just talked about with exercise and whatnot. You want to add anything further to that, that concept or topic? Yeah. I mean, another, another thing about it that I, I maybe people aren't thinking of is sexuality, right? I mean, that's very much dependent on our bodies. I mean, we're, we were made sexual beings, but you know that sexual nature only takes place you know in our bodies, and there's a spiritual connection to the body from that, and it's kind of like you're getting at with overeating, where there's a context for sexuality to be released in, but outside of that, there's issues like you know with premarital sex, there could be diseases, infections, there could be all these kinds of things, there could be the shame, the guilt that comes from it, right? But ultimately, it's it's about there, there is a, what am I trying to say here? There is an outlet for it, but when we kind of go out of bounds, like we do with overeating, there can be shame with it. There can be problems. There can be actually life robbing moments that happen instead of the life giving nature of what it was intended to be kind of thing. Same with nourishing yourself with food. It could be sexual. It could be whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably a variety of ways in which we have signals of things being unhealthy in our life that we maybe don't consider being unhealthy, especially if we view the lens of spirituality as simply this, I'm either acquitted or guilty with God. And that's the extent of my spirituality, because if that's all it is, then who cares if I'm a bigger or smaller person or I overeat or don't overeat. Like, Oh yeah, I may, I might feel horrible here and there, like with something like that. But ultimately all that matters is how, if God views me acquitted or, or if he views me guilty and it's like, you're, we're missing the, the fullness of salvation that we have and how God wants to enter into our life. It's not just about this perception of us. He wants us to live into this fullness of life in, in the entirety of our life, not just our mental capacity or our emotions, but like our entire existence he wants to bring fullness to and how we follow in the way that we see Jesus living because Jesus lived the fullness of life. He's the example that we have of the fullness of life for a human being to, to, and he's the model for that essentially. You want to add anything more to that or any other thing you want to bring up with this topic? Okay. Um, I mean, one other place where this I think has touched on in, in a more like hot button topic for, and I guess for me in the last couple or a few years is when you get into uh, 
like the LGBTQ kind of conversation. And for me specifically, it's happened with some of the transgender stuff and some of the arguments I hear with, with that, or even from people who I've had to interact with, it's I, I, what gets brought up is this, well, my brain's telling me one thing. And so therefore I need to do what my brain's telling me, like what it's telling me of who I am. And my, my thought, or at least like kind of come back to that is, but you're not just a brain. <laughs> you're not just what you think of yourself. Like you're an embodied person. So the rest of yourself also communicates something about who you are. You're not just your brain. You're not just your thoughts. You're an embodied person. So those have to be taken collectively together and then make sense of, of who you are. But we're so tempted to take like this one part of us and make that the fullness of who we are and, and then kind of exclude the other part, if you will. And, and that, that's in that arena. I mean, we do this in a whole lot of other areas too. Um, you know, we can find, I mean, you just go with the, the gluttony thing. Like we can find fullness of life in like my stomach or my taste buds being satiated. And I let that determine everything else I do. Well, it can, it can very easily start to determine whatever, what someone does if they let that go way overboard because it can, you know, come to consume their life, you know, especially if weight becomes an issue or to where they can't do start doing things like, okay, you let that one thing be important, but then it became the rule everything, but it came at the cost of the fullness of your life in the process. And I mean, I think what our conversation is trying to gear toward is we have wisdom in the life of Jesus to point us toward what the fullness of life is like. And we see that it's a relationship with God in an embodied existence. And those two things work together. And so, yeah, I think, I think we'll just leave it there. But um, I think my point kind of in the end is like, when you look at eternity through the lens of a follower of Jesus, it's not a disembodied existence. And I mean, kind of the funny or like joking thing here is like, well, we're, you know, eternity can maybe sometimes seem just like a, you know, we're all just sitting like angelic sitting on a cloud or something like that as if it has like no resemblance to, in the embodied existence that we've come to know. And I have no idea like what eternity will fully look like, but we at least have a glimpse that it will look something like an embodied ex existence that we see Jesus having in his resurrection. So that doesn't look like just like an angelic being floating on a cloud kind of a thing. Like it seems to resemble a little bit more of what we know as life now. Obviously it's not going to be like now it's going to be way better and have a whole lot different reality to it. But it's, it seems like it's going to be embodied at the least. And so our embodied ex existence does matter. And it's the avenue or the medium through which we interact with God. And it's the way, it, the avenue and medium through which God came to interact with us through Jesus. And so to me, you, you can't separate the two at all. At some point, to encounter the fullness of life, the two have to, if you want to look at them as two different things, have to be joined together. Because that's where the fullness of life actually takes place. Do you have anything more you want to add? Yeah, I think it's just um, being cognizant of the fact that your body has something to do with your spirituality is just adding more depth to your preview of what heaven will be like on this earth. That's kind of what we're getting at. I mean, we don't know exactly what eternity will be like, but in some sense, we get a preview. And, you know, if we have a more well-rounded knowledge of that preview, I feel like the better prepared will be for the act for the, like the real thing so to, i mean i guess to me where it comes back to is that should be motivation right. 
like you don't like we often talk about, Oh, I can't wait till heaven or eternity or whatever. And the reality is like, you don't have to wait entirely. Like Jesus, by following Jesus. Now you get in having his spirit live in you. Now you get to preview aspects of what life then will be like. Is it to the fullest? No. Like we, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like there's a desire for that to be, in place here and now, like we have that desire, we even pray for it and what Jesus teaches us to pray. But obviously it's not going to be to the fullness until Jesus comes and redeems every, every aspect of creation. And, but it, it's motivation to want to live that way because we get to experience it ahead of time, if you will. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a cool reality that we get to, to do. We don't have to entirely wait, if you will, like we get a taste of what I mean, this is like the previews for a movie, right? Like it gets you motivated to want to go see the, the entire movie. It kind of gives you a glimpse or a taste, if you will, of what the full thing is going to be like. Uh, the same thing with like, you know, the whatever, uh, different you know, grocery stores where they give you like a taste test or something like it's to motivate you to want to enjoy the fullness of something. But they're not withholding it from you. They're actually giving you a chance to engage with it right then and there. And that's what we get to do in following Jesus is have a preview or a taste of what life with God in eternity is like. And that's super cool. Thank you everybody for joining us uh, for this episode and we'll catch you next time. Bye everybody.